what we do as a church is um, we take books, the Bible is our normal pattern, and we just try and understand them, try and work through them, learn together from them. And for the next um, four weeks, we're going to just dig around in the book of Jonah and seek to understand why this book is here and what it has to teach us. Um, I'm going to read Jonah chapter 1. I'd love you to follow along, and then we will, um, we will dig in and see what God has to say to us. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I mean, what do we make of this? What do we make of this story? Um, When my kids were little, we had a picture book of Jonah. It's a great picture book for kids because it's got a ship and a storm and a big fish, a smiley fish just waiting to eat the man. It's a lovely story for kids, sort of. And it's easy, isn't it, to to kind of say, okay, well, this is a story that basically means, you know, don't run away from God. And if you do run away from God, then you might get eaten by fish. So don't do that. Um, Why don't you try obeying God? And in some ways, it it would be easy to read at a superficial level. I want to push us quite hard. And I want to ask a question that is always a good question to ask when you read the Bible. And that's this question. Who was it written for? And what would they have thought as they first read this story? Who was it written for? Or to ask it in a slightly different way, Jonah was a prophet. Who was he a prophet to? You see, the book of Jonah it comes 
in this chunk of the Bible called the prophets. You have the major prophets, um, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, the, the major prophets, only major because they're long, not because they're more important. There's the major, and then there's the minor prophets, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, there he is, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, those guys. And they've got short little books. And they're prophets. And all of these guys are prophets. Now, a prophet is someone who speaks with a message to the people. So, before we read this story, well, it's a story about Jonah, we need to work out, in what sense is Jonah a prophet? And who was he a prophet to? Now, at first sight, we might say, well, that's an easy question, John. He was a prophet to Nineveh. That's where he was sent. I don't think that's right. Jonah, first and foremost, is a prophet to Israel, to God's people. Let me just show that to you, okay? Um, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. It's important that we know which Jonah it is because he comes up somewhere else in the Bible. Keep your finger in Jonah. We're going to go to 2 Kings 14. 2 Kings 14. This is page 384. Because Jonah is mentioned here. Let's find out what was happening in Israel at the time that Jonah was a prophet. What was going on? Let's go from verse 23, top of page 384. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah... Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he'd caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Hepha. So we're told in 2 Kings 14 that Jonah was a prophet at a time. What was Israel like at the time? In a bad way. They've got a king who's doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's bad, right? So Jonah is speaking to God's people. That's his time when he's around, when Jeroboam is king. And there's a big problem in God's people. Now, we are going to get to Jonah in a second. Let's just keep stepping back. I want to keep showing you something important that's going on. If God's people are doing evil, they are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. You see, they had a very specific job to do. Um, look, um, yesterday, in a couple of weeks, um, we're going away for a, a few days as a family. And one of the problems with going away for a few days is that we have goldfish, not goldfish, sorry, we have tropical fish. <laughs> I get in trouble for this. We have tropical fish. And the question comes, what do you do to feed your tropical fish when you're not there? Well, we've discovered that you can buy a thing that you clip on the side of the tank and you tell it the right time and it twists and it dispenses food into the tank for the fish. It's the most magnificent thing. So we bought one of these and we've attached it to the side of the tank and it's wonderful, it drops bits of food into the tank at the right time. Now, this has got a point. <laughs> Remember we were talking about Israel, right? If that fish dispenser did evil, right? 
If it didn't do what it was supposed to do, then the fish would die. Got it? Okay, so now let's say, well, what was Israel supposed to be? What was the point of Israel? Well, if you trace their history right back, why did God choose the nation of Israel? He chose them so that they would be a blessing to the nations. Right? Back in Genesis 12, we we won't turn to it, but when God first chose his people, he said, I'm going to bless you so that you will bless the nations. All people will be blessed through you, Israel. In other words, Israel was to be the blessing dispenser to the world. Israel gets filled up with God's blessing and then as it rotates round, it drops bits of blessing all over the world. That was the point of Israel. It was a blessing dispenser. How, how was God... So here's God. He wants to bless the whole world. What's his plan? He's going to choose one nation and do it through that nation. That's always been his plan. Okay. Now if you're tracking with this, if the blessing dispenser goes evil, what's the problem? The blessing doesn't get to the nations. Okay. Now turn back to Jonah. The book of Jonah is in the Bible so that God can say to his people, you've forgotten what your job is. You've forgotten what you're for. And so rather than Jonah speak a message to Israel, which is how prophets normally work, they normally just go and preach a message, instead, Jonah's life becomes his message. His experience becomes his message. He goes through this extraordinary experience and then he writes it down for Israel. And Jonah is a picture of Israel. Jonah shows us what Israel is like. Jonah is the broken blessing dispenser that is refusing to bless the nations. And Israel should read this and go, well, that's us. That's what we've done. Because God is very clear that he passionately loves the nations. Look at the very last verse of the book. We'll get to this in a little while. Verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which were more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God says, I am concerned for the far nations. I'm concerned for the distant places. I have massive care for them. And Jonah, you don't. Israel, you don't. That's what you're for. And so what God is going to do is he's going to show Israel, the plan, Israel, was always that you would be a blessing dispenser. And do you know what this book is crying out for? This book is crying out for someone who will be a better blessing dispenser, someone who will be a better Jonah, someone who will be a better Israel. That's what the book's crying out for. Now, hang on to your hats. We're going to go through chapter one. I'm going to show you this, and then we'll um, try and bring it all back together at the end. I hope that makes some sense in terms of setting it. Um, But this is not just a nice story. I reckon Israel, when they first read this, would have hated this book because it would have really exposed them. 
they wouldn't have read and gone, oh, nice story, let's make a cute fish. They'd have gone, I don't like this story. It's very uncomfortable. So let's go, I'm just going to take you through the story now, and we're going to see three things. Um, Firstly, I want you to see Jonah's commission and God's compassion. That's verses 1 and 2. So we're told that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So Jonah receives this message from God, and the message is, go to the great city and then never preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. God knows exactly what's happening in Nineveh. I don't know if you find that surprising. In fact, the language is not just that he knows it. What's the language? It's coming up before him. It's as if through all the stuff that's happening in Nineveh, and there is bad stuff happening in Nineveh, all of it is coming up before God. It's like deafening in his ears. He can hear it. If you just uh, flick over a couple of pages um, to Nahum... He's another minor prophet. Nahum chapter 3, just on page 938. This is what Nineveh's like, right? Just so, we, just so we know. It's not our poor old Nineveh. Nahum chapter 3. Woe to the city of blood. This is Nineveh. Full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. That's, that's quite bad. Right? If one of your mates in Israel says thinking of going on a holiday, uh, taking a trip to Nineveh. You'd go, <gasps> no, not Nineveh. And God knows exactly what's happening. It isn't happening out of his sight. It's not like God is somehow distant. You know, we have such a rubbish view of God sometimes. We think we can get away with stuff. We think that God doesn't see. We think he doesn't notice. But everything, all of it, every single act of wickedness comes up before God. He sees it all. He sees everything that's done in this city of London. He knows everything. Everything that's hidden and secret that no one else knows about. He sees it all. It's like deafening noise in his ears. And what is his response to the wickedness? His response is to send a preacher. He commissions a preacher and says, go to Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. Why does he send a preacher? Why doesn't he send like a, an army or something a bit more violent than a preacher? You know, we preachers, we're weak, really. Why doesn't he send a, a storm or a judgment or a something to destroy this wicked city? Well, because he's a God who's full of compassion. And if you remember, his purpose was always to bless the nations, not to destroy His intention was always that he would bless. Now, wickedness is serious and wickedness needs to be dealt with. But God sends a preacher to warn them and the warning is designed to turn them around and the warning is designed to wake them up. And we'll see in chapter 3, that's exactly what it does. God's purpose is to save this city, not to destroy it. 
And God says to Jonah, that's your job. You see, that's what Israel was supposed to be. That's the blessing dispenser. Jonah, go. Why doesn't God just send an angel? Because his plan was always to bring blessing to the nations through Israel. He will not bless the nations other than through Israel. That's the only plan he's got. That's not one of his plans. In our fish tank, we've also bought a little solid food thing that lasts a couple of weeks that we're going to put in as well because we don't trust the dispenser because we think it will turn evil and dis- not dispense food. So we've, we've gone both ways, just to be sure. God doesn't do that. God only has one plan. His plan is to bless Israel and through Israel to bless them. That's it. He's got no other trick. That's the one. So how's he going to go to the city of Nineveh? He's going to send Israel to Nineveh. That's the commission. Now we're going to see how this all applies to us in a second. Just let's go through the story. The second thing, after we've seen the commission and the compassion, is Jonah's refusal and God's pursuit. So verse 3, but Jonah ran away. He ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Right, if Nineveh is that way, Tarshish is that way. That's basic geography. Um, of the day and Jonah hears this commission he says I don't want to go there and he runs that way and he runs away from the Lord or literally from the presence of the Lord but of course God is omnipresent God is everywhere and so he's running away from the God who is everywhere which sounds like a sort of thing that's impossible to do But Jonah is in outright rebellion. He's refusing to do what God says he should do. He runs away. And he goes down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for Tarshish, the port where he was going. And you can imagine him, can't you? Uh, um, Here he is running away. Oh look, there's a ship for Tarshish. This must be the Lord's will. This must be where I'm supposed to go because there's exactly what I need, exactly the right place. This is perfect. And so he gets on this boat, he pays the fare, and he sails away from the Lord, he thinks, to flee to Tarshish. Now, I don't want to be rude, but I think many of us can think that running away from the Lord is a viable option. Perhaps I'll just try running. God says do this, and I think, "Mm, no, perhaps I'll just do my own thing. And it was a daft thing for Jonah to try and it's equally daft for us. You can't run from someone who's everywhere. That can't be done. And actually what we discover in verse 4 is that God pursues Jonah. Look, if I was God, which I'm not, but if I was, I think as I saw Jonah running away, I'd go, oh, forget it rubbish little prophet I'll go and find another prophet it's fine, you go off to Tarshish I'll go and find someone else, forget you God doesn't do that because God only has one plan and his one plan is to bring blessing to Nineveh through Israel and Jonah is Israel in this story there is no other plan and so rather than abandon Jonah to running away instead God pursues him fairly violently. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. 
massive storm. I love this, um, this phrase, the ship threatened to break up. Isn't that a great phrase? Just imagine it going on. Tell her, I can't do this anymore. I'm warning you, if you don't do something, I'm going to break up. I'm sick of this. You always treat me like this. Take me out in a big storm. That's it. I've had enough. I'm going to break up. The ship is like seriously grumpy. The sailors are terrified. Now, when you've got people who are sailors and they're scared, you know you're in trouble. The sailors are terrified. They're all crying out to their own God. They're chucking cargo over the side. That's their profits. They can see that this is life or death. This is, forget money now, this is just about survival. Jonah? He's gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. He seems to have great peace about the whole situation. He's in a place of great peace and relaxation. Oh, at least I got away from God. At least I've managed to run. At least I don't have to go to that place. Nineveh, that was a close one. Some other mug can go and do that. I'll just sleep here. And the Bible again and again is very clear that when you're running away from God, the fact that there is a means to run doesn't prove that it's right. And the fact that you have peace about it doesn't prove that it's right. You can run away from God and feel the most peaceful you've ever felt and you're still in rebellion against God. He's running. But God is pursuing him. And that brings to the third thing in the story, Jonah's stubbornness and God's salvation. Because Jonah is a real piece of work in chapter 1. Look at verse 6. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Right, okay. So you've got Jonah, who knows God and is one of God's prophets, sleeping. And you've got a sailor who doesn't know God, who's calling out to other gods. What is the sailor telling Jonah to do? Get up and pray. Right? The pagan is telling the, the one who knows God what to do. The only person on the boat who isn't praying is the only person on the boat who actually knows God. He isn't praying. And you'll notice that he doesn't pray. In all of chapter 1, he doesn't pray. You have to wait for chapter 2 for that. So he doesn't pray... Then verse 7, the, soldiers, the sailors say to one another, come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him this string of questions. Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where's your country? From what people are you? So they start saying, hey, Jonah, this man Jonah's clearly the problem. Who are you? What on earth is happening? How is this storm going on? What is this? And then verse 9, I think, is crucial to chapter 1. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. What do you make of that? On a scale of true to not really very true at all, is it, Jonah? Uh, Where do you place him on that scale? You see, Jonah is able to still say the right words. He's like a good... Hebrew boy who's been brought up with this this creed 
that if you press the right button, it comes out, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, may God have made heaven and the earth. It's like, this is who I am. You ask him the question, he can answer it. He knows all the answers. He knows all the right things to say, but he patently does not worship the Lord, the God of heaven, because he's on a boat trying to run away from him. Now again, I think it's very, very challenging to us that you can be running away from God and still be saying the right stuff. You can still be declaring allegiance to God. You can still be talking about how much you worship God. You can still be saying the right stuff. You can be in church. You can be singing the songs. You can be praying the prayers. And yet you can still be running the other direction. You can fool people, but you can't fool God. Here is the stubbornness of Jonah. He will not pray. He will still claim that he's worshipping God. And so if you'd asked Israel at the time, are you God's people? Yeah, we're God's people. We worship Yahweh. He's our God. But they're living in wickedness. So this all terrifies the sailors. um, And they ask him, "What what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. I mean, this is bonkers, right? So when he got to the port, they, he said, are you going to Tarshish? Oh, great. Can I get a lift? Yeah, sure. Why do you want to go to Tarshish? Ah, oh, I'm just running away from the Lord. That's, that's my plan. And for the sailors, they'd gone, okay, that's fine. Because for the sailors, they had a very localized view of gods. Different areas had different gods. So if you wanted to run away from God, you could. You could run over here. But now he says, Who, can we just ask you, Jonah, who is this God you're running away from? Oh, the one I'm running away from is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Oh, bother. Okay, we wish you'd asked that. Bef- we'd asked you that before. You see, running away from him, that's, that sounds serious and he doesn't seem happy. And so they say to Jonah, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And I think if we were making a film of this, this is the heroic moment in the as the music swells in the background as Jonah stands the wind blowing his hair and he says pick me up throw me into the sea save yourselves, I'll die save yourselves but it's not heroic it's not heroic at all in fact it's the wrong answer That's not how to get the sea to calm down. What should Jonah have said? Jonah should have said, turn the boat around, I need to go to Nineveh. But in that moment, when Jonah in verse 12 says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he is saying, I would rather die than obey God. I'd rather die than do than what I'm supposed to do. The sailors, right, all the way through this story, the sailors do the right thing. Verse 13, instead the men did their best to row back to land. They're the ones who pray. They're the ones who try to row back to land. They're the ones, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They're the ones who then cry out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. They took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Jonah is thrown into the sea. 
He is still running from God as he sinks down, down, down to the bottom of the sea. You know in the picture books, if you've ever seen a picture book, the fish is there, right? The fish is waiting and Jonah doesn't get wet, right? Jonah goes straight from the boat into the fish. That's not how it happened. We'll see much more of this next week. But Jonah's thrown into the sea. He goes down, down, down and down, right to the very depths of the ocean. And it's only then when he's nearly dead that he finally cries out to God. We'll see that in chapter 2. At this point, he's still in outright rebellion against God. He's still running. But you see who gets saved? Who is saved in this story? The sailors. The nations. The ones who aren't God's people. They come to know the one true God. They offer sacrifices and make vows to God. That is what God's people do. That's a mark of being God's people. And so as Israel read this, they'd be going, well, hang on a second, because our man is in rebellion and the sailors look more like God's people than we do. And that's the point of this book all the way through. God is shaming his people to say, I am going to bless the nations. And Jonah, through Jonah, the nations are blessed even though it's through his rebellion, because it's God's plan to bring his blessing to the nations through Israel. It's his only plan. It's the one plan, and it's a great plan. And so salvation comes to these men. And verse 17 tells us that salvation comes to Jonah too. But something dramatic happens between verse 16 and 17, which we discover in in chapter 2, but we'll do that next time. Now, having gone through the story, I hope you can see some of what's going on here, some of how God is dealing with this prophet Jonah, why it's so important that Jonah, God doesn't let Jonah go, why it must be through Jonah that blessing comes to Nineveh, because that is the plan. And through this book, God is going to say to Israel, you've forgotten who you are, you've forgotten what you're supposed to do, you're not being a blessing to the nations. And like I say, the... The book is crying out for a greater one, a greater Jonah, a greater Jonah. Until in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus stands up and says, someone greater than Jonah is here. That's literally what Jesus says. Something greater than Jonah is here. Because Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus is the one who fulfills everything that Jonah didn't. Jesus is the one who fulfills everything that Israel was meant to but didn't. Jesus is the one through whom blessing comes to the nations. Jesus is the great blessing dispenser to the world. Jesus is the one who fulfills all of God's promises. It was always God's intention that through Israel, through Israel, blessing would come. And out of Israel, Jesus came and through Jesus, blessing comes to the nations. It's Jesus The word of the Lord came to Jonah, but Jesus is the word of the Lord. Jonah ran away from God, but Jesus came and ran towards sinners to save us. Jonah slept in a boat in rebellion. Jesus slept in a boat because he was peaceful and absolutely in control. 
Jonah pretended to worship the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. Jesus perfectly worshipped the Lord, his Father, the God of heaven and earth. Jonah was thrown into the sea in rebellion and sailors were saved. Jesus went to a cross and died willingly so that we might be saved. Over and over again through this chapter, you discover that Jesus is the greater Jonah, the one that we most desperately need. And Jesus is the one who, when the Father sent him to this wicked world, he said, I'll go. Rather than run the other direction, he ran the way that God told him to go. And on the night before he died, as he went, was contemplating going to a cross to die to save this wicked world, he could have run away. He could have escaped. He could have got on a boat and gone to Tarshish. He could have got away, but he didn't. He went obediently all the way to the cross to die because this world is wicked. He came to die for the nations, people like me. God sees all the wickedness that I do. He sees everything I've done. It all comes up before him. He's not fooled by my pretense. He's not impressed by my good behavior. And he loves me enough to send a preacher, the word, a savior, a rescuer, a prophet, Jesus. And Jesus dies for me. But then Jesus commissions his people and says, now go. Go and be blessing dispensers to this world. Do you understand why? If you're a Christian here today, do you understand why God saved you? He did not save you so that you could get full up of blessing and become fat. He saved you so that you could spread blessing to the nations. And this book is going to challenge us to share God's concern, God's heart. As we walk around the city of London... It's so easy to be judgmental, so easy to tut, so easy to be frustrated, so easy to go, oh, so evil wickedness, there's terrible people, bad stuff happening here and bad stuff there. And we just withdraw, we hide away. But God's heart is always to go. God's heart is always to send. God's heart is always to pursue and go after people. And God says to us, his church, to Globe Church, The whole point of putting you in London is that you would dispense blessing to the nations. That's what we're for. And the book of Jonah is in the Bible to say, wake up. See the great blessing that is yours because of Jesus. And then see the great purpose of God to bless the nations. God's only got one plan. He literally only has one plan. And that is to save this world through his people. That's his plan. And that's why we must be willing to be used and to go. And there will always be a part of us when we hear that God says, go, go into your workplaces, go to your friendship groups, go to other places in the world. Just go, go do something, go share something of Jesus. Go, dispense blessing there'll always be a part of us that wants to run away. And go, no, 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 I like it. Oh, no. God says go. Jesus says go. Make disciples of all nations. That's the commission. 
and he promises us to give us the power as we go. So as we taste his blessing, let's be praying that we will be a blessing dispenser this week. As you go into work tomorrow morning, if you're working tomorrow morning, that you just turn around as you walk in like this in order to spread blessing again. People go, what are you doing? I'm just spreading blessing everywhere. (laughs) may not be the best strategy. You may be able to come up with something better than that. (laughs) But let's pray that God would use us to be his blessing dispenser to the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book of Jonah. We thank you that you're a God who longs to bless the nations. Father, thank you that you blessed Israel so that they might be a blessing. And Father, when Israel failed to be what they were supposed to be, thank you that you sent Jesus the better Israel, the greatest, the greatest Jonah, the one who didn't run away but ran willingly, the one who gave himself to die for us. And Father, we pray that we'd be excited about this, we'd be excited about being part of your plan. Lord, help us, we pray, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.